Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Chan. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Clark and recorded in New York City. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, when she graduated high school, she had her first professional audition, and she got it. She booked the national tour of Cats. Months later, she found herself graduating into the Broadway company. Welcome the extraordinary Lena Hall to the podcast. A-OK. First of all, Lena Hall, welcome to Little Known Facts. I am so thrilled we were able to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Where are you right now? Where are you uh, quarantining? I am in Connecticut. So uh, I was lucky enough that um, my husband and I, we really didn't have the foresight for this happening, but we decided to forego um, a big wedding last year, and we decided to take the money and buy ourselves like a vacation home in Connecticut. And um, and it just so happened that that was the right thing to do. Um, yeah, normally we live in Williamsburg um, in Brooklyn. So I was... Um, I was filming um, Snowpiercer season two in uh, in Vancouver when everything went down. And so I flew right here and have been here ever since. I've been here for about two months now. That's what I wanted to know because a lot of my guests were either on Broadway when Cuomo mandated that, you know, larger venues uh, shut down. So how quickly, first of all, you were in Van- in Canada and what was the vibe there at the time? Like, I was in a play and I was like, really? They're shutting down? Like, it was so confusing to me. And obviously now not confusing at all. Um, <laughs> right? Like, what was I even thinking that I would allow people to come to the theater one more time? Um, right, right. So what was your experience at the time? So uh, so in Vancouver, uh, we were filming. Everything was great. And um, Vancouver wasn't really shut down or anything. It was all kind of normal. The only thing that was weird was the fact that you couldn't get any face masks anywhere. Um, and uh, But everything was pretty normal. And then... Uh, and then we'd heard um, Riverdale, someone at Riverdale um, in the, uh, I think it was in the crew, tested positive for COVID. And so then they shut down Riverdale. And then like someone from the crew of Riverdale came to our set and everybody freaked out. And um, so then we, uh, we subsequently shut down um, soon after. <laughs> So when you guys are shooting up there and your cast is you and Jennifer Connelly and David Diggs, like, and many more starry, wonderful people that everyone on the planet 
admire. So did you know David before you got that series? Yeah, yeah. I had met him a couple times before when um, during his Tony season. It was uh, two seasons, I think, after mine. And um, so I... Uh, I talked to him a little bit and, um, I knew Lynn and, um, I knew some of the crew there over at Hamilton. Um, but I didn't know him, know him. We have a lot of mutual friends, but, um, but after filming with him now, two seasons, I've really kind of gotten to know him and he is like the best person. He's such a sweetheart. He's an awesome human being. He is who you think he is, you know, Mm -hmm. he's not just like putting on airs or somebody different behind the scenes. There is no kind of veil of, of, uh, of someone else that you see. He is actually that his smile and his smile is infectious and his energy is just so, it's so wonderful. It's been just like a real treat and blessing to like be in a show with him and also um, do some press with him and get to hang out with him. And yeah, he's, he's just like such a good guy. Have you guys collaborated on any music together? No, not yet, but we want to. Your life story, your career is so extraordinary. You know, I, I was doing all this research about you and at one point I found a news clip of when you did an interview because you were doing Hedwig in San Francisco and you brought the interviewer to a room in your house that you grew up, which is like your father's study, maybe. And you were saying like, if you want to know who I am, let's start in this room. (laughs) Here's a bit of kind of the world I grew up in. And it was so beautiful. I mean, it looked magical and like a museum of collected fabulously interesting artifacts from his life and maybe all your lives. But if you don't mind, can you just talk a little bit about growing up in San Francisco and then we'll get to Tony's and Broadway and Obsessed and all these incredible creative outlets that you've shared with the world that has made the world better. Um, <laughs> but So thank you. But yeah. a little bit of that, if, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. I mean, I grew up... Um... I grew up like in the heart of the Haight-Ashbury. My father, he uh, bought that house in 1967. So right during the biggest hippie time um, ever, you know, the summer of 67 was famous there. And um, that's basically when he bought the house. And uh, he was uh, one of the pioneers during the hippie time. Um, He did like the first psychedelic ballet, the first rock ballet, because he's a choreographer. And he wanted to break the mold of kind of the traditional ballets that were being done. And um, so he he studied traditional ballet, like was he a traditional ballet dancer before he sort of found his own voice? Yeah, yeah. He danced in companies and um, he went to, you know, some of the, at the time, some of the most famous companies over in Europe. And um, when he came back, he was choreographing and he was setting ballets and he wanted to do his own thing. And he was at San Francisco Ballet at the time. And San Francisco Ballet is kind of a very, you know, old institution. And so they weren't too thrilled with him, um, with his creative endeavors. So he left and he started his own company. He brought um, his, you know, favorite dancers with him from San Francisco Ballet, including my mom. And uh, and they did wild ballets together, things that were very um, kind of uh, breaking the mold of the traditional. And my dad did a 
a whole ballet at the um at the oh my god what is it called it's a cathedral at Grace Cathedral um in San Francisco he did an entire ballet there uh about death it was called yeah and um which was very interesting you know so he would always use not only traditional you know classical music but he would use um, Balinesian music. And I mean, all, I mean, every type of music you could think of, he would, he would use for his ballets. And, um, and so he was very um, adventurous when it came to that art form. Um, and he met your mom in the ballet company in San Francisco. Yeah. He met my mom in San Francisco. She was one of the dancers and, uh, and, uh, they, <laughs> they were dating, different people in the company, uh, in my father's company. And I think those two people, um, ran away together (laughs) and left my mom and dad heartbroken. And so they ended up getting together. (laughs) Wow. So thank you. Thank you to those two people. (laughs) So your, uh, your name until like a couple of minutes ago was Selena Consuela Gabriela Carvajal, right? Yeah, Selena Consuela Gabriela Carvajal. And it so, was, it's Spanish Filipino. My father's side of the family um, is uh, from the Philippines. And um, my heritage, we go back about seven generations of artists. So there are famous artists in the Philippines with the last name of Carvajal, who are who I am related to. And, uh, and um, but Carvajal is a stage name. It's... Um, I th- our original name was Garcia, and uh, and so you know my great 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 uh, grandfather or whatever he changed it um, to Carvajal, and then we've had it that ever since. And uh, and I ha- and I was Selena Carvajal for a long time because I felt like I needed to you know continue the heritage of my family. Sure, sure. Right. And then when I found out it was a stage name, I thought, oh, well, then they would be okay with me changing my name. So, yeah, so I ended up changing it to Lena Hall because um, I like that it's easy to spell, easy to remember. I like the way it looks on a piece of paper. I like that it's very symmetrical. Um, Really, I did it to simplify things so that when people heard me sing at, like, let's say a concert, and my name was said, they'd be able to go Lena Hall and they'd be able to look it up on their phone and Google me. Um, whereas before Selena Carvajal, Selena is spelled so many different ways. Carvajal, unless you're, you know, Spanish or you pick up on the fact that it is a Spanish name, you don't realize that the H, you know, is actually a J because it's pronounced H. So, um, so I was just like, I'm going to simplify it, streamline it. And I dyed my hair black, and there you have it. <laughs> and here we have you, Lena. So, but what's really interesting? So, first of all, how fan, like really fascinating that all the guilt we always feel, like we don't want to sort of. There's this legacy, and we want to honor our family. And that moment where you're like, actually, to do that, I'd have to be Selena Garcia. Like that yeah. would actually. <laughs> well, no, not even. It's like it's like oh, well, then they'd understand why I wanted to change my name. That yes. is the honor, like that's like the honoring of the of the Carvajal Tradition. family is that. Oh wait, so I'm I'm going to change it. So Carvajal 
is like Smith in uh, the Philippines. It's a very <laughs> common name. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And in Spain too. So, uh, so that's why he changed it was because I guess Garcia was less common. And, um, and so, uh, so yeah, so changed it cause it was a more common name. So I figured I would just continue on with that and change it because Hall is more, you know, easily accessible in the States. <laughs> and you started doing that. So when you, I mean, the thing that's so extraordinary about you is you have so many different ways in which you are creative and so many of them allow you to do it regardless of whether someone hires you for a job or not. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were younger, were you doing musical theater as a young person? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I was a ballerina from like when I was born. I couldn't avoid it, obviously. Uh, right. Yeah, I was. But were you doing like avant-garde ballet, or did they? They were like before you kind of um, experiment. You need to really start with the foundation, the traditional foundation of ballet. Yeah, I did. Um, I I took ballet very seriously for for a long time, um, which is funny because those were all in my single digit years. <laughs> right, right. Your um, single digit years. Right, and of course, I did some experimental dance. Um, I learned all kinds of forms of dance as well, like tap and jazz, but then also like um, all the dance through time. So my mom was in a company called Dance Through Time, and I learned like how to dance when they dance, you know, the Baroque style and Renaissance, and um, all throughout history, all the social dances throughout history is something that I learned through my mom when I was young, and um, so I have this uh, pretty big knowledge of dance, but it was my sister. My sister was singing. Um, she was in girls chorus and then she found this musical theater company that she joined. Um, and I was 11 when she joined. And the minute I turned, well, the minute I was almost old enough, I wanted to be in that. So that's kind of was the turning point was when I was about 12, I said, I don't want to be a ballerina professionally. Um, but I love what my sister's doing. And so I ended up going and doing musical theater. I still danced and I was still in a ballet company until, um, until I left home when I was 18, but, um, and and I was still training as a ballerina, but I wasn't taking it as seriously anymore because I found this new outlet, which I really loved. And the sound that comes out of your mouth when you open it to sing, like when did you discover what you could do? It's interesting because many dancers are are more internal in certain ways in the ballet world. That's such a gross generalization, but it's rare to find someone who also sings the way you do. Um, how did that feel when you realized that you could express yourself vocally in such a powerful way, the way you had done it physically through dance for so long? Well, I mean, it was a slow go. So when I was young, um, when I was like younger, I knew I could sing. I had pitch. I played piano, classical piano. So, I mean, I have a really good understanding of music and musicality. Um, it's all there. Um, but I had issues with singing because um, I had these really big tonsils. <laughs> I know this is so weird. So I had huge tonsils in my throat. Um, I'd get infections all the time, but they wouldn't take them out. 
And, uh, and so even in, even in my adult life, when I went and um, joined the tour of cats and I was on Broadway and I had already done, um, I was already on my fourth Broadway show by the time, um, one day, um, I looked in my throat and this is, uh, in, in rehearsals for Tarzan. So this is my Tarzan was my fourth Broadway show. And, um, when I was in rehearsals for Tarzan, uh, we had been exposed to all kinds of construction because we were rehearsing where they were building the sets because we needed a, a big space to rehearse in. So they just put us all together. And um, my tonsils were so bad and so swollen um, that I had like something like a blood filled balloon on like my tonsil. And I looked and I actually went over to Schuler Hensley and I said, does this look weird to you? And I showed him my oh god and he freaked out and he went over to um thomas schumacher and uh yeah just like disney theatrics he went over yes. to not my, tommy my, schumacher right yeah he was like tom look at this and so uh tom look at my throat and they were like oh my god you've got to go to the doctor now now until this point i didn't know that there were vocal specialists like i had no idea and so they sent me to gwen corvin who is of like course the, the guru list of the of the stars huh yeah no the guru yeah the guru. There in like like there's celine dion's poster you're like okay i'm, I'm gonna be okay yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went to Gwen and she looked in my throat and she was like, you're a singer? <laughs> and she couldn't believe what she was singing or what she was seeing. So um, she was like, we're taking these out. Um, so basically at the age of 26, I had my tonsils removed. In the middle of Tarzan rehearsal? In the middle of Tarzan. Then let me take six weeks off. And um and I had to relearn how to use my instrument because I was so used to, um, so my tonsils were so big that they touched in the back of my throat and they were always like that. There was no relief from that, um, ever since I had been eight years old. So that's how I was used to singing. I was used to singing through this blockage, right? This, um, and it would, were you one of those kids who like, as a little kid, it sounded like you had been smoking 12 packs a day. Like, did it manifest itself in that kind of way? No, it sounded like, um, I was like, I had like marshmallows in my mouth. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like my voice came from somewhere different and it, it sounded a little bit like I had marshmallows in my mouth. It was so weird. And, um, when I hear recordings of me singing, when I, before, um, I can, I can tell, I can hear it. Maybe the average person can't, but I can definitely hear the difference between my voice then and now. But, um, can I say two things really? Can I just interject one that you got to your fourth Broadway show (laughs) and sounded like you had marshmallows in your mouth, which we'll go back and listen to is already an astonishing piece of information, but even more astonishing that a Broadway show allowed you while still in rehearsal, it's not like you had opened and you had an understudy that they were like, take six weeks and come back when you can. I just think all of that is kind of not necessarily how everyone operates. So, well, shout I out to Tom Schumacher. Okay. Right. No, to clarify, I had to wait till we opened and wait till after Tony's. Got it. 
then after that, during during the summer, so during July, August, I took off to get my tonsils removed. Yeah. Okay. So I went out Right. But you kept going. And I can't believe you kept going for all that time with basically like a bomb that could explode in your throat. Like that seems really scary to me. It was fine. It was fine. Okay. Well, you're here to tell the story. I mean, I'm sure they figured out some way for you not to strain, but the mother in me is a little bit worried about that time. And I'm really glad I know the ending, which is a really happy ending. Yeah. So, Clearly. Yeah. So, so after I got my tonsils removed, I had to kind of like relearn how to use my voice because there was no longer this blockade. There was this freedom. And suddenly I found this other part of my voice, which was like a mix, which I had never had before. Um, and, uh, and so at that point, um, at that very point, essentially, right when I went back to Tarzan, um, I joined a rock band <laughs> and I started singing like hard rock with a rock band who played, who played at 11, like played really loud during rehearsal. Like it wasn't like there was like, they weren't professional. They were like a garage band kind of guys, you know, who had learned when they were kids and they just like loved being in a band and they were, they were great musicians, but they weren't like professionally trained or anything. So they would, they would just play as loud as they could because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to play loud music. And then they would um, also never change the keys because they liked playing open power chords. Um, So I was forced to sing these songs that were like super high and like way out of my range. And um, I had to learn to do it. Um, and, and do it so I could hear myself through the PA and, um, and, and, and not lose my voice. Obviously I had to like last for pretty long time singing that way. And then, um, and then later down the road, um, my band members, they were just like, you're not cool. You don't sound cool. We want you to sound like Axl Rose. We want you to sound like, you know, Lemmy from Motorhead. We want you to sound like Steven Tyler, um, Robert Plant. Um, and so I was, I mean, I knew who all these people were, um, and I listened to their music, but I, you know, in my mind, I was just like, they're all men. I can't sound like that. And then, um, I just started, I just wanted to shut them up. So I started playing with placement of uh, my voice and trying to get that rasp, that like cool gravel, that cool rasp, um, the cool, like dissonance or whatever, the double tone, um, that you hear without without screwing up my voice, um, and without it coming from my throat. So it wouldn't hurt my vocal cords because it was something that I would have to sustain for, you know, an hour set. And so through playing with that, I discovered all these new, like this new part of my voice and, uh, just fostered that through, uh, my rock band. And it became, so fun. And it kind of became a signature sound, um, because not, not a lot of people can figure out how to do that. (laughs) But you did. And you did that on your own. On my own. Yeah. Yeah. On my own. It's all about feeling. And I, I definitely, um, I definitely am thankful for my ballet background because it gives me a much better sense of my physical, like of the way things feel in my body. So I can feel when something is doing damage and I can feel, 
when something is just weak and needs to be trained. Um, and that's, that's a big deal when it comes to singing to me, the vocal cords, it's kind of like a muscle, um, you, uh, or well, the vocal cords, but also it's your entire range from your head voice all the way to your chest, right? There's, um, there's all these spots that you can train to become strong. Um, and then there's a few that you don't want to touch because it will cause, um, you know, irreversible damage to your vocal cords, um, or bad damage to your vocal cords and it's not sustainable. So, it's a matter of knowing what pain feels like and then knowing what weakness feels like. And that was the big difference for me is that when I found these little spots in my voice where I could make rasp, but it was just kind of like, it was like shaky, you know, like a weak muscle and it didn't hurt. Then I was like, Oh, this is probably it. So I just kept banging on that part, you know, just kept working it out until like, then I had it. And as things went by, you know, then I was able to do rasp in a lower, in a like singing lower notes or singing higher notes. And so the, 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 the muscle just expanded in what I could do. And then from there I started expanding even further, like my mix, like I started working on my mix, which was super weak, but like over time and just doing it over and over again, I was like, Oh, I think I got this, you know? So I've been exploring the, basically all the different tones and all of the different qualities that I can get out of my voice. Um, and, uh, and, and it's been interesting. (laughs) So how did you end up, um, being someone who, got to Broadway from San Francisco and doing musical theater because your sister did it? Ah, God, you know, I don't, it was just kind of, I went, I went with the flow of things. Um, I, well, I always wanted to do what my sister did and, um, my sister was really good at musical theater. So I wanted to do what she was doing and I ended up doing that and, uh, throughout high school. And then, um, and then, a friend of mine called me who was also in the theater company. Um, he called me and he was like, Hey, there's an open call for cats. You need to come. The girl's call is in like an hour. I was like, okay. And so I ran and I went to that open call and I ended up booking that job and doing the national tour of cats right out of high school. Um, and then being moved to the Broadway company. So for me, it was, just going with the flow because I had never thought of Broadway as a, as like a dream or something that I really wanted. Cause I didn't even know what it was. Um, all I knew was musical theater. Like I knew I liked performing, but I didn't know that Broadway in New York was like a thing. I had no idea. I'd never watched like the Thanksgiving day parade. Um, like I never, <laughs> I had never done that. I mean, I knew who Patty Lapone was because I used sure. to do Evita all the time. And like, <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I can sing along to like the whole London recording of Cats, um, and which is different than the Broadway recording, FYI. And uh, <laughs> like, I knew, I knew of like Sondheim and I knew of all of his shows. And, and this is just because through this little theater company that I had been involved in, um, right. I knew, I knew how to audition and I knew I needed headshots, like, but that's because of this theater company. But I had no idea that Broadway was like a thing and existed as something that I would want. And, um, when I was moved to Broadway, um, 
I mean, it was like, it was like, uh, I had no idea. Like, I mean, it was very impactful for me. I cried a lot. Um, <laughs> cause I was so happy. Yes. But so like, cried in a happy tears. But yeah. so like, you were, you were, when, when you got cast in the national tour, where, how many places did you go before you went to New York? Um, quite a few because we would do either week long sit downs or, um, split weeks. So two cities in a week. And every once in a while we did a triple split week. That's three cities in one week. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard work. Um, but is that how um, you got your equity card? Yeah. So I, I was out on, I was out on tour for a year and three months and then they moved me to the Broadway company. You were really young, though. I mean, obviously, the little bit I've sort of observed and heard about your family, like, it sounds like you had a family who would be pretty supportive of you following this train, or I don't want to speak for you. Were they like, okay, or was there, was there a big conversation? Like, okay, I guess we're not doing college. Like, what was, or did it just happen so quickly? Well, college was kind of a thing that wasn't necessarily um, pushed. <laughs> I didn't even take my SATs. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, and I was like, in my junior year, the only college that I was like, it, Yale had come to me because I knew um, I knew some of their alumni and the alumni were like, you, you know, you should go to Yale because they've got a great acting program. And, um, I was just like, I don't, you know, well, first of all, my parents were like, uh, no, it's very expensive. Um, <laughs> I was like, and I didn't really know what I wanted. You know, I was just like, I don't know if I really want to like, do I want to go to college? I don't know. And so after I graduated high school, I mean, I was only 17 when I graduated high school. And, um, and I decided I was like, well, I'll work for this summer. And then I'll go to like community college and see if there's something that I want to do. Um, I was right. very interested in like psychology at the time. So I was like, maybe I'll like study and see if I can't be like a psychologist or something like that. Um, and then, um, and then the cats audition happened at the end of my, at the end of that year, I was still 17. And then the next month I turned 18 and then I got that phone call and that just propelled my life forward. Um, I had, you know, it was just one of those go with the flow kind of things. I was just kind of going with how I felt. And, um, my parents were, they would go out on tour um, all the time when I was a kid. So they were like, fine with it. <laughs> right. This is in your DNA. Like, yeah, my completely- mom, yeah, my mom was sad because she, she didn't want her baby to leave, but she was also really happy for me because she, she was, had the same experience and she wanted me to, you know, pursue my career and that's great. And so, you know, there wasn't any pushback from my parents. Um, the only pushback I ever got was that they wanted me to be a ballerina and my mom specifically, and um, and I didn't become a ballerina. Right. <laughs> right. But you did dance, you know, you did cats, and you were dancing. I mean, that's an all-dance show. Yeah, exactly. So I was still dancing. And so you're 18 years old. You're suddenly thrust into this world of a national tour of cats, which is like such a beloved show with such a, like, incredible legacy. And you're Demeter? 
Yeah, yeah. So I started off as a as a um, swing, um, which means I, I understudied for different roles. Okay, and so you have never done this before, and you're learning four tracks. Yeah, I learned four <laughs> tracks, and I learned them really fast because I was used to learning – different things. Cause, um, I would help my dad set his, um, ballets. Um, I was kind of like his little assistant. So I was used to learning other people's parts. Um, so for me, it wasn't all that, uh, challenging cause I was kind of used to it already. Um, but then only two and a half, I think it was like two months in, they were like, Hey, we just want you to take over the role of Demeter. And I was like, um, okay. <laughs> okay. Is that a thing? Can I do that? Okay. And then yeah. unbelievable. Okay. And are you, okay, that sounds great. And are you having a great time and are you loving this company or are you homesick and confused or a little of both? Like what is happening? Oh, I had a great time. Um I I grew up, I mean, that was my college. Mm-hmm. Was 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 touring with cats. That was definitely my college. It was a wake up call. It was like, hey, you're an adult now. Get become an adult like it's time to become an adult now and um I got great education on that tour (laughs) I bet you did um were you the youngest person on the tour I was for a while and then there were um two other there were two guys who were cast one was a little younger than me and then the other one was just a little older than me so we were all the same age and uh they they called us the mod squad and then when you come to New York, do you like, how do you know where to live? Is like, do other people from the tour also enter the Broadway show at that point? Um, no. So when I, when I was, uh, moved to the Broadway company, um, one of the girls on tour was actually looking for a sublet for her place. And so it just kind of worked out perfectly. So actually the first place I lived was behind Lincoln center. Um, over on the, on West end of, and, uh, which was great. Cause I could walk to cats and, you know, I could walk there and back. And how do you, do you have an agent at this point? Like then how do you No, again, like it was just like a go with the flow thing. So I was new in the company and someone in the company was like, um, Oh, you need, do you need an agent? And I said, yeah. And so they introduced me to their agent and then their agent just signed me. Cause I already had a Broadway show and, exactly. and yeah, I didn't even try. I didn't try. Um, I, again, like I didn't, I wasn't savvy, you know, I was very naive. And so again, I was just like going with the flow. All I really had as far as knowledge was like, singing, dancing, and, you know, a little acting, like that was my knowledge. I was, but as far as like knowing what I needed for, for a career in this, I had no idea. And I was just kind of going with the flow of what people were telling me. And you're on Broadway and are you having the time of your life? And are you becoming part of the community? Are you social? Like what's your, what's happening like outside of the show? Do you know anyone else in New York? Yeah, I mean, I had met a lot of people um, on tour who were also touring with other companies um, and who we were passing through at the same time. So, like, there were a ton of um, touring companies of rent, and I always befriended them. Um, 
And uh, so when I came to the city, I had a couple of friends in the city and um, I made friends in the company really fast and uh, like Footloose was on Broadway. And so I was obsessed with them and I'd hang out with them. And I was very in the community um, and I was auditioning a lot and um, I was just, you know, I was living the, living the dream, like (laughs) the dream meeting everyone dating everyone. Like, you know, it's just like doing the thing. Um, and I even bought an apartment up in Washington Heights, um, with my cat's money because I was so young, I didn't have any bills. Like, right. so that was a luck thing. And, uh, you know, it's just, um, I was just learning how, you know, learning being, being like college age, like, being a being a fool and having friends and yeah I mean and did you feel like at that time of your life like when you look back were people kind to you or do you have a zillion horror stories you no know, for the most part people were really nice there were a few people who were had the didn't like me because they thought I was so young and why not that you know it was a bit mm-hmm. of a jealousy thing but like I also am very unaware of things like that. And, um, and it's some kind of like defense mechanism that I had since I was a kid of being very unaware of like other things going on, which is a blessing and also not good because then I'm also a little unaware of my actions, mm-hmm. um, and then causing, um, you know, someone problems. So I've been getting better with that. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's like, um, it was just, I don't know. It was, uh, it was good. I mean, there, it was happy times and there were a few drama things here and there, but nothing, nothing, nothing that major. And did you ever make a decision? Like I'm going to do this as a career or did you just keep going? I just kept going. It wasn't until after Tarzan and I was in a rock band that I was like, what do I really want to do here? Right. Why? It, it, because I was, I was really happy when I was younger and I was doing shows, you know, I was doing cats and, and then I was in the ensemble of another show and I was covering a lead and, and I really wanted actually to be the leads of the show. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And then you know, by the time Tarzan closed and, um, and I kind of had a moment of pause and I got to kind of, uh, figure out what it was I wanted out of this. Um, like what did, what did I want to do with my career? Right. Uh, That's when the whole name change thing happened and the focus on rock and roll happened. And I dyed my hair dark because I needed, knew I needed to brand myself into a certain way so that I would be seen for the roles that I wanted to do and that I would be taken seriously for other things. So it was a big, um, switch. Um, and it was hard because I had already established my career with all these casting directors. And so I had to get them to see me as something else. And it took a, it took a while, but, um, were but, people confused or was there pushback for your agents? Like, no, we'll, we'll start submitting you as Lena and we'll just explain. And like, like, what is that process? Because when you did kinky boots, were you Lena or Selena? 
I started Kinky Boots as Selena, <laughs> and then I changed my name to Lena Hall, and um, right like mid show. And people thought I was doing like career suicide. They didn't understand because I had already established this pretty big career so far. Yeah, and, uh, and um, you know, it, it was a bit of a shot in the dark, but. I knew I had to do something like I was really sick of people mispronouncing my name. I was really sick of people not being able to like Google me. Like I just like I, I, and, and my name was so Spanish and I, I am Spanish Filipino, but I do not look it. And so I needed my name, you know, the way it sounded to match the way I looked, to match my attitude, to match the way I sang to, you know, it's a whole package. So right. I kind of, realized that, you know, if I wanted to do, um, more edgy stuff and, um, sing more rock and roll or seeing edgier things, I had to, you know, go for that and become that character. And so I did. And I had do you remember the first time you went on an audition and in the world of like slate your name or coming in as Lena? I remember my first job as Lena Hall. I did, um, I did, I was a singer for this circus. And, um, and I liked that a lot. It was fun, but I had already had a lot of experience performing as Lena Hall because I was Lena Hall in my, in my rock band. Right. Right. Um, it was already kind of something normal to me. People used to call me Lena all the time cause it was like a nickname and, um, it, it wasn't that unnatural for me. It didn't take too long to adjust. It's other people who were the ones who had to adjust Right. Like I don't know what to call you now. Do I call you Selena or Lena? I'm like, you can call me whatever you want because you've known me forever. Right. People who knew me now usually just call me Lena because that's how they know me. But people who knew me before, you know, they'll call me Selena or they'll trip up or whatever. I don't, I, you know, I answer to both. They're both, they're essentially both my name at this point. Well, Kinky Boots was in terms of wanting to go from ensemble to a, a role that was really memorable for an audience, do you feel like, was Nicole the name of your, Nicola? Nicola? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nicola, was, yeah. Did, did that feel like a next step for you in terms of the kind of thing you were getting to do and having like this super cool accent and playing someone who was so different from you? Um, yeah, I mean, it was... Basically, I looked at it as in who was involved in the project. So I had been doing shows where um, I did a Duncan Sheik reading. I did um, a show with um, where uh, David David Byrne from um, Bon Jovi wrote all the music. You know, I had done a show with Phil Collins. Phil Collins, you know, like so all these rock people. Um, I did a show at ART with um, Serge Tankian, like from System of a Down. I did, um, I did a show that was all Jeff Buckley music. So the idea was that Cindy Lauper really fit the vibe of, of what I was going for, you know, rock star, um, rock pop kind of thing. So for me, it was, it was that I love Jerry Mitchell so much. Um, I wanted to work with him and I, uh, the way the character had been written before, she was actually a really great, um, character. She, she, I had a lot, I had a whole song, like you really ended up feeling for her. Like you really loved her. Yeah. Um, and they were like, they were like, we can't do that. We gotta, like, we gotta cut it down. We're sorry. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. I still want to be involved with this show. I love the show. I love the people involved in the show. 
um, I had done um, the readings and, you know, workshops and stuff from the very beginning. So I had been involved in Kinky Boots from its baby stages. And, um, and I saw the whole thing evolve into what it became. And, and watching and, Billy Porter's journey must have been incredible. Yeah, I mean, I knew Billy before. I had worked with him on a show called Radiant Baby back in the day, and um, uh, that was off Broadway about Keith Haring, and uh, he was so fabulous then, and um, and he kind of disappeared for a while, and then when he came back, he was just so amazing, and it was nice to work with him um, and Stark and Anna Lee. You know, it was that cast was just amazing. So it was a very special time in my life. And it wasn't something, cause I guess the way it all shook down and how the, the role was cut so far down. Um, they, you know, they were surprised. I stuck with the, with the show because they figured it was such a small role and that it wasn't what I had wanted anymore, but I really loved the show. So I wanted to stay with, um, with my people. Right. <laughs> Um, so, um, so yeah, so I stuck with the show and I, and I had all my projects going on afterwards with my band and stuff. So I was very, very busy regardless, you know? Um, so for me it was, it was fun and I had a great time on that show. Well, obviously the thing that made you the global sensation, uh, was doing the attack and winning the Tony. And I think you had said in previous interviews that you had seen the show when it was at Jane Street. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for all of us who remember that version of it, it was really, you know, there was that, there was rent, there were these touchstones that we fell in love with. And I can't even imagine what it must have been like to suddenly go from this beloved thing to being a part of this beloved thing in this new iteration. So when you heard it was happening, was it something you fought for? Was it something that kind of came into place really easily? Were you called in early on? Sort of what was the process for you? Um, Well, when I heard it was coming to Broadway, I was like, I have to do that show. I have got to be in that show. I am perfect for it. It's rock and roll. It's like everything that I am, I need to book it. So I went to my agent and I said, uh, I was like, you have to get me in for this. And if you can't, I will go to an open call. I don't care. Wow. Like I, I just wanted the role. Um, and I, and I had a good understanding of the show itself, um, from when I had seen it and also from, the, um, the movie, um, and also the cast recording from, you know, the original cast recording back in the day. Um, and I, I just like was so in love with this show. I feel like it is one of the greatest, you know, shows of all time. I feel the music will never sound dated. It's like, it's one of those classics that just never goes out of style and it Mm -hmm. always is relevant regardless of the fact that it is timestamped. Um, it doesn't matter that it's time stamped. It will always be a relevant show. And, um, uh, so yeah, so I was just like, I have to go, but I, I know that I need to, you know, I, I, I knew that I had to be a man and I knew that that was very important to kind of come off as a dude. And, um, <laughs> like, exactly. that was basically it. This kind of sad sack dude. I mean, that there were a lot of things that um, gave me, you know, my character development. One of the things was that, you know, after 
before my final callback, um, after my like second to final or whatever, John and Michael, John Cameron Mitchell and Michael Mayer came up to me and they were like, you're great. We love you. Um, next time we want you to come into the room and never drop character. We want you to be at sock the whole time. We're going to ask you questions. You're going to do an improv scene with John. You're going to sing with John. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. We want you to tell them a joke in character. And I was like, okay. Um, so they gave me some homework to do essentially because I had to rectify the fact that I was walking into the room as the character already. And I couldn't be auditioning for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to be auditioning for something or doing something in that room. It had to be relevant to the character, the storyline, um, Hedwig's storyline, like it had to be relevant. Um, so I ended up, um, instead of a joke, I wrote an entire backstory monologue about um, Yitzhak's past and how he came to New York. And um, and then also about how he got into musical theater. Um, and coupled with that, I did a two and a half minute um, Kickstarter campaign video um, that I showed them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, to donate to um, the fund that I was um, – this was like an audition for um, money producers in Yitzhak's head to uh, bring Rent back to Broadway. So his whole backstory was to kind of get them into the why of the Kickstarter campaign um, to bring Rent back to Broadway so he could play Angel. So Do you still fun. have is – this, is this video like something that exists and can be shared? Oh yeah, yeah. It's on YouTube. Um, okay. It's on my YouTube page, and um, it's uh, you'll see. And the monologue is in there. It's in the okay. description, so you can read the whole monologue and then watch the Kickstarter campaign. Oh it was God. the most nerve wracking thing I have ever done in my life, but yeah. I did it. And and how long did you have to kind of create that between the callback and then the last callback where you were going to have to do this? Uh, I had about a week. Okay. Jesus. And were you seeing other people at the auditions for your part? Yeah, I saw other people that I knew. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was, it's always nerve wracking to go in and, and see other people. Um, but, uh, sorry. Um, but, you know, I, I knew no one was going to do what I did. Right. Right. <laughs> much like I really wanted to give them you know I, I wanted it to be so hard for them to say no to me yeah. like I wanted it to be impossible yeah and I, I, it. I really made it impossible for them to say no to me I think I was in the room for a good 45 minutes I had them all stunned I mean nobody could say I they were just completely stunned and and you got it I did did yes. you find out pretty quickly um, no, actually, here's the funny ah. thing that, uh, the casting directors had called my agents who had left for, um, a Christmas New Year's break. And they were going to tell me after we got back from New Year's break, which was like two weeks in and into, into January. And the casting director had, messaged me on Facebook randomly and was like, I can't wait. I'm so excited for you to join us. And I was like, huh? <laughs> That's how I found out. 
So I called my agents. I was like, what the, like, what the hell? And then they were like, oh yeah, yeah, you got it. I was like, and you really? (laughs) Wow. When you're doing a revival and obviously, you know, you got to do it with John also, but you had all of these different Hedvigs along the way. Did you feel like you were just able to just bring idea after idea in and and you were really welcome to try it? Do you feel like Michael had a very clear idea of what he wanted and and what was that collaboration like? Um, Well, it was more about Hedwig and Mm -hmm. it was all about Neil and whoever played Hedwig, honestly. Okay. That's what the show is all about. And so that's how I catered my role. Um, Every time they had a... Every time Neil and Michael had a conversation about what to do with a microphone or a mic stand or this or that or how to get this or how to get that, I would always insert myself into the conversation and go, hey, I'm here. This is what I'm for. Use me. I'll do it. And so that's how my whole track was built. And it became a very, very busy track. I mean, I was on stage like as basically the onstage sound person (laughs) and prop person um, for the entire show. Uh, But that helped with connecting to each other more. It helped um, with developing our, you know, the storyline between the two of them more. Um, And that was just uh, out of necessity because I knew they needed hands and I was there and I was going to do it and it didn't matter. Um, So um, so basically every headwig that came in, um, I was always like, I'm here for you, whatever you need it, I'm here for you. Essentially that's my job and that's it. And that's, and that's how it was by design. So no matter what, you know, I was there for them to lean on regardless. So if they needed water, if they needed a pastille, if they needed anything, they would look to me, I would get it for them. Like that was it. And, and did you uh, become really close to all of them? Uh, yeah, I became pretty close to a few of them. It was, you know, sometimes it was so short lived. Um, like Andrew's run was very short, right. and I wish I had had more time with him. And um, but we we all had a good time, and there was a real connection between you know me and all of my ex wives after a while. Uh huh. And was John uh, was John Cameron Mitchell there throughout a lot of the process? Uh, no, he would pop in and out, but he was pretty hands off. Uh, he was, you know, would come in and give some notes later, or help me kind of grapple with my purpose. You know, like mm-hmm. what is my purpose? Um, why am I here? Yeah, it was great to have him to like bounce ideas off of a little bit here and there, but more. You know, it was more about Neil. It was more about the person playing Hedwig because they had such a huge job in front of them. Um, and I was there to facilitate. So it's like the person taking, you know, the, the person taking the hit to make the other person succeed more. So that was, you know, that was me. I was the one that was the support, you know, essentially just supporting this person, all eyes on this person all the time. And then Tony nominating Morning, how did you find out that you were nominated? And did you have any idea that it might go that way? Uh, No, I slept through and um, my phone started ringing off the hook and my publicist was just like, get up, you've been nominated, put your ass on the phone. I was like, oh my God. She's like, you have to call this person and this person. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I don't even know. 
I didn't think I didn't think I would get nominated. I thought I was too much in the dark. I was too in the background. You know, I barely said anything. Like the role is very small on paper, like very small on paper. And also, if you're sitting there, you're in the dark all the time. Like I was just like, there's no way. You know, there's not enough to do. Like there's no way I'm going to get nominated. So I was nominated and. And that was wild and um, so fun. And that was a really crazy time um, because it was just constant interviews and constant, you know, uh, events, um, constant like photos, shoots and the Met Gala and all, all kinds of stuff. And um, um, I mean, I hope to experience something like that again, cause I really enjoyed myself. I loved the whole process. Um, and, uh, I had, I, I thought, cause I knew, I knew who the other women were in my category and I thought there's no way I'm going to win. So I'm just going to enjoy myself as much as possible and have fun. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so I won. <laughs> you did. You did. You can watch it on YouTube. You really did. It was incredible. You were so alive. I think when people watch, you know, your speech, it's, um, you're all of us, like all that emotion and all that generosity and all that love, uh, it just all came through and you look extraordinarily beautiful. And then you got to go do the show with all that behind you. And it must've just been a remarkable thing to then go do it and have this whole new relationship to the audience. Because now once that happened, the audience knows to look at you in a way and mm -hmm. right like now there's this spotlight like you think you're in the dark but suddenly people are putting a spotlight on you while you're in the dark did that just change the the playing of it did it confuse it in some way to be a star who's supposed to be the roadie to the star yeah, it was a little odd because um then I started getting entrance applause which I didn't like. Right. Um, the whole idea was that the transformation was so severe, you know, that you didn't recognize where the girl was on stage. Like the idea was that you was the reveal in a way, right? Yeah. A beautiful yeah. moment at the end. Yeah. When people would applaud me coming on stage, it was like a dead giveaway for those who hadn't seen the show before. Right. Um, and I love fandom like I do. And I love head like the head heads. I love the fans. Um, but there was a certain mystery that I lost once, um, once I won the Tony, you know, and started getting entrance applause, um, you know, because for anyone who came in completely blind to it, um, they would have had that same, you know, discovery of like, Oh, that's a girl, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like later, because a lot of times people would watch the show and they didn't know where, I was, you know, and they were like, I wonder when this girl's coming out. Right. And uh, some people were even fooled up until I came out at the very end, you know, like, like, <laughs> like, and that was what I was so proud of was that I could make a transformation like that and really fool people, even my own parents. But right, right. Um, I but remember, 
you know, Bradley B.D. Wong changed his name when he was doing M. Butterfly. The reason it wasn't Bradley anymore was because he wanted there to be as much mystery as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, for some crazy reason, and obviously it's not the same because then you would have been like Leonard Hall and not Lena if you had done it specifically for Hedwig. But I had wondered, because I didn't realize the name change had happened during Kinky Boots, I had almost thought it was this idea of reinvention specifically for that part, which would have mm-hmm. been cool also. But but no, that wasn't it. Well, we decided to forego photos in the playbill um, and we also, um, I forget what we did, but we, we, I know that there were no pronouns in my bio. Mm-hmm. On purpose. Right. Um, I just wanted it to be mysterious, you know? And, and then, you know, of course, after you and a Tony, it's a national thing. And then the, the fans, they go, and then they just want to clap for you. And, and I love that, but it, you know, then it loses the mystery of it, but then, you know, but it doesn't matter because it's still, people get the same performance. Yeah. Um, and the power of that show and the emotion of the show and the message, it's it, none of that gets lost in the, yeah. in the um, receiving of it. As you sit in that audience, the last mm-hmm. thing I just need to talk to you about is this kind of unprecedented thing where, you know, listeners, you can watch on YouTube and other places, there's this incredible goodbye that Lena says to this part. Her last night on Broadway, I don't even want to spoil it for you. I assume it was a surprise for you um, who arrived on stage to, yeah, to send you off. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's like watching you win the Tony. Like you, <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, and in some ways that's even, you know, um, more naked because you can't really even speak like there's no pressure to speak we just get to watch you receive this love and respect from all of these people who had been involved and it really is like um oh heck I mean I'll just say it it's not a secret but all of her previous wives came on stage for her last show and even just watching it last night on YouTube like the emotion of that is so intensely beautiful and the respect and true admiration and gratitude that each of them, and they're the craziest band of brothers. Like you could not find a a more different, uh, diverse, like crazy casting in terms of like, there's no through line except they're also brilliantly talented. So yeah, yeah, right, it's right. like, it's crazy. Like the who's who of Hedwig's. But then after that intense goodbye, um, where I'm sure it just took a while to kind of understand what that even was, they ask you to do it on tour. Um, and who had this brilliant idea of this history making moment, which is, and you'll also be Hedwig. Um, well, they had, they, had, they had talked to me about doing the tour with Darren. And I had told them how hesitant I was because I was like, I felt like I had put that character to bed. And there was no new challenge of doing it on tour. You know, right. why would I why would I reopen something that had such a magnificent finale? Yeah. And, uh, and then they were like, well, 
you know, we, we have to do eight shows a week. Would you be interested in doing Hedwig once a week? And I was like, yeah, okay, yes, I'm definitely interested. <laughs> so, so that was fun. I mean, I got um, I got a chance. I only got to do it eight times. You know, I, I, I've talked to a producer about doing it in New York um, mm-hmm. in some way. Um, and we were working on that, but of course that's been all put on hold. Um, but, uh, but you know, it was, oh, it was an out of body experience completely. And, um, I was a fool and decided to do all eight shows a week. Um, uh, seven is Yitzhak, one is Hedwig, like um like a crazy person uh and uh i felt like i had been hit by a truck and to this day i'm like darren was you know he had all this energy he's very young you know he had all this energy he always wanted to hang out he was always inviting me to things and i was just like i can't and i feel bad i don't think he realized how beat to you know beat up i was um I was like I was hit by a truck every morning when I'd wake up and um but I would never take it back like for a million years. I absolutely loved doing it. I'd love to do my own take on the show. Um you know, and that'll all happen eventually in the future, but um you know, for now I I I can think fondly back on um my time with Darren and he was so supportive. Um and he would come and watch me do the show and he would always just come back and compliment me. It was so sweet about it. I even put you know, I put him in the show and like there were so many meta things of me doing Hedwig and like commenting on myself and there's bootlegs of it out there and I'm it's very incredible. How did you guys figure out what to do when you take your costume off when you're naked? Was there ever a moment where you guys were going to go very meta or have you not have anything covering you? Like, how did you decide how to handle it? Well, um, at first, cause it was all about how do I become Tommy Gnosis? Um, right. and I thought about using like, um, tape, uh, like putting a big silver cross on my chest mm-hmm. um, using tape. I thought that would look really cool. Um, but there were problems with that as far as um, overdressing because um, it would be revealed. Uh, and they said it was a little distracting. Um, so we ended up just doing a, a wrap, like a skin colored, like um, a wrap. And uh and, um, then for my, uh, for my dress rehearsal, um, I felt just like so confined by it at the end of the show. And I wanted, and the whole idea for me at the end of the show, it's different for everyone. Um, because the, the end of Hedwig is, it's kind of open for interpretation. Um, and I think that's why people get so much out of it is because they allow, their own thoughts uh, about the end to, you know, it's just mysterious, you know, so you can, you can get what you need out of it. And to me, the end of the show was always this catharsis of, you know, revealing who you really are, um, finding your other half is within you, you are a complete person. And um, for me, the anything that I was wearing, you know, that was confining or or restrictive. I, I wanted to get it off. So I ended up just taking 
taking it off uh, <laughs> and being bare chested and just allowing the audience to see me as who I was. Um, I did want to take everything off and be totally naked, but, um, but something, I don't know. I got nervous and I didn't know. <laughs> Maybe next time. I'll do it. But the idea is that, you know, after all of this, here I am in my full form, you know, take it or leave it. Um, the idea is to leave as your, your bare, as your, as your bare self. I mean, in the movie, John leaves naked and, um, and so, and it feels so right when you're doing it, it just feels so right to do. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of how that came about. It was just a spur of a, like a spur decision and I did it. And then afterwards, you know, I was like, Oh, what have I done? Was that bad? Um, and then no, I got a lot of really, really positive responses from it because they felt the, they felt my, they felt my empowerment. Right. The impulse. Yeah. It wasn't to be egregious. You know, it wasn't something, you know, it was very, I needed it off. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I get it. Um, Lena, it's uh you're such a you're such a beautiful artist and it's so incredible to think about all the work that you've done all of the videos of music that you perform in your obsessed series which is another thing that people can go watch and explore your encyclopedic knowledge of music and all of its genres it's just going to be a thrill to kind of see as we figure out what performance looks like next and how we get to be in the same room as people performing. Um, yeah. I just cannot wait, wait, wait to kind of be an audience to the next gifts that you bestow upon us. Truly, truly, truly. And I'm so grateful Aww. for all this time today. And I just want to ask before we say goodbye, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Yeah. Um, I don't know how little known it is. Um, but, um, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a natural blonde. That is the best little known fact. Anyone, people have shared some pretty intense things, but I feel yes. like nothing. People are really going to have to bring their game from now on. Um, Lena, thank you so much. Hey, okay. Hey, okay. Here are some little known facts that listeners sent to me about themselves. At Hi, this is Carly writes, little known fact, when I was a kid for a short while, every time my parents took me to a show, I would come home and decide which parts my bird and my sister's bird would play, as well as what part my dead bird would play in Birdie Heaven. Hi, this is Carly. I love your imagination. That's incredible. And I think you and Julie Taymor should get together and create a really incredible piece of theater. At Exeholic writes, little known fact about me, for my drama school exam this year, I got suffocated. I was the first in my school willing to try it. At Exeholic, I really hope you got an A.
At Sergarod writes, little known fact about me, my first Broadway show was The Apple Tree, and I met Kristen Chenoweth at the stage door. She was so kind and loving. At Sergarod, I remember the first time I met Kristen Chenoweth. It was our first day of rehearsal for a good man, for your good man, Charlie Brown, and I cannot tell you how extraordinary it was to meet someone who was so miraculously talented and equally kind and loving. And I'm so glad you got to meet her because she's pretty special. Thanks for the little known facts, guys. See you next week. Thank you to John Zaytoon, who was the talent coordinator for this episode. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.